Thank you so much, Stephen and, and worship team. I played trombone in middle school, and I was terrible. You did not get better through osmosis. I was reminded that every time I played, but that's the first time that I've been able to, to worship with uh, hearing trombones help, help to play, and it was a beautiful thing to be able uh, to hear an instrument to be played and worship, honoring the Lord and, and, and doing what it's designed to do. In this series of Malachi, we've noticed and we've noted what was said back in Exodus 19 to Israel, that God would have a people to be his treasured possession. Israel was to be the Lord's treasured possession, meaning that the treasured possessions of the Lord, the treasured possession of the Lord, ought to treasure their possessor. The treasured possession of the Lord, Israel, was to live in a way that treasured their possessor in their priesthood, and their obedience to the covenant laws, in their marriage context, and how they cared for the weak among them. And this morning we'll note, as the Lord addresses in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, Israel has a language problem. The language problem, perhaps when you were younger, you heard that saying, hey, watch your, watch your mouth, watch your language, which we ought to. But what God does for Israel, the people called to be his treasure possession, is he points out to them that their language toward the Lord reveals that their hearts are hard. Many in Israel have hardened hearts against the Lord, but, but many have soft hearts still. We'll see that this morning. And so these last two sermons, these last two passages in the book of Malachi, it will become abundantly clear to us that God does have a treasure possession still. And though the land experiences the heartache, Though the people experience the heartache of living against the word and way of the Lord in their lives and in their nation, God still has a treasure possession. God is still good. He is still faithful. And He's worthy to be praised. And what He'll do is He'll use the, the commentating of the Lord, the criticalness of the Lord to expose in them like a thermometer detects a temperature. It doesn't make it hot, it detects it's hot. He'll identify the words of many in Israel that are critical of the Lord. And they're critical of the Lord's command for them to serve Him, to honor Him. And He'll use this to identify that as a thermometer towards their many in Israel's heart problem. My prayer for us is that God would give us ever-sensitive ears to the way and word of the Lord, that we would guard our language not simply when it comes to profane words, but we would consider and listen, how do we speak about the Lord? How do we hear others speak about the Lord and the Lord's authority and right of possession over our lives? Because what a joy and privilege it is, listen, to be able to, to treasure and to be marked as those who are loved by God. That's our purpose. That's our right in life, to treasure our possessor. So let's dive in this morning as we note first that Heart problems show themselves through critical words. Heart problems show themselves through critical words in two ways. The kind, first, critical words of the Lord Himself. Words that are critical of the Lord Himself. Verse 13. The Lord says through Malachi, Your words have been hard against me says the Lord, says Yahweh. But you say, speaking reflectively of, and reflexively of Israel, many in Israel, how have we spoken 
against you. Your words are hard against me. The New King James rightly likewise translates that harsh against me. What many in Israel are doing is they're speaking against the Lord as though they're equals to the Lord. You see that? They're speaking, they're, they're what maybe in sports they call Monday morning quarterbacking. They're, they're speaking as though they have a claim to criticize God. Even though God uniquely and specially created uh, man, created Adam and Eve in his image. He formed them unique from all the creatures that he's made. And he created them to have a relationship with himself dependently upon him, creature and, and, uh, and creation. Creation worshiping and, and living and moving and having their being and right in the Lord. Being faithful to the way of the Lord that he's given them, the author and sustainer of their lives. And yet they drift from that. They abandon, they rebel from that. And we'll see that even in Israel. Israel, this chosen people, a treasured possession among the nations to display the glory and goodness of the Lord, faithfully abiding in him by the covenants. And we'll see them do the same thing. They'll forsake that responsibility and they'll begin to believe themselves to be equal to the Lord or superior to the Lord. And it shows itself through harsh words toward the Lord. Harsh words toward the Lord. It reveals to them the temperature of their hearts and their lives. Your words have been hard against me, against the Lord. I'm amazed at how often there's people that claim to, to, to not believe in God. Or they claim to, to not believe that you can know that God exists. And yet those people often have the words of the Lord often on their lips. They can't help but speak of the God they know exists. The one that sustains them. And what Israel has done is many in Israel has begun to speak of the Lord as though they are equals or superior to the Lord. Their problem is with the Lord. He says, your words have been hard against me. In application of this, we, we pray as a congregation that God would give us ears to hear. Ears to hear our own lips. As they speak forth words that may be critical of the Lord. That we would love each other enough as a congregation that we want to have sensitive ears to listen to each other. What are we saying about the Lord? What does our spirit, what does our attitude say about the Lord? What does that reveal? What might God show us if we will but listen? Whereas harsh words further go about calcifying our heart against the Lord, prayer softens our hearts toward the Lord. Prayer does the opposite, whereas criticism of the Lord, it, it hardens our hearts, prayer softens our hearts. Prayer is an ever reminder that we are creature. Prayer is restoring us into the right order. It's reminding us, I should say, that I'm creation, that He's creator, that I'm dependent upon Him in all things. Even prayer before a meal is a reminder as I, as I eat that meal, perhaps, of, of the work that I've done or, or gathering it or whatever it is and preparing it. To pray is to intentionally stop and, and to make sure I'm reminding myself and thanking the Lord for His provision He's provided for me graciously for that meal. One of the great ways that we can minister to one another as a church family is, is, is by things as, as, Jesus, as, as, as Stephen, I almost called him Jesus, as, as Stephen. <laughs> wow. That's not true. Uh, but so Stephen beginning our worship service in prayer, reminding us as we came in from all different situations coming into this room this morning to, to stop and be reminded that we're gathered here to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the great love of God who would send His Son for us, and would take on flesh, dwell among us, live sinlessly. 
to worship Him, to fix our eyes upon Him. That's what prayer does as we minister to each other interpersonally. As you may hear criticism or your heart begins to groan, to share a prayer request with a friend, a burden that you have, and then just right there in that moment, put your hand on their shoulder and pray with them. You help to escort them back to the Lord. You help to soften. You take anxieties from one another and you lift them to the Lord. That's how we minister to one another and ever soften our hearts together. Prayer tenderizes our hearts. You've probably heard the acronym of prayer of, 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 of cats or, or acts, depending if you're a dog person or not. So cats applies to confession. There's prayers of confession that we make to the Lord. That's coming to a right agreement of our, of our, of our sin and our standing, our dependency, sins of and prayers of confession. Those prayers of adoration, adoring the Lord for who He is, for whom the Lord is in His glory, worshiping Him, adoring Him in our language. Prayers of thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for what He's done, different than adoring the Lord for who He is. Here now we thank the Lord for what He's done and doing and will do according to His Word. We thank the Lord for the things He will do yet future that have not taken place. For in the Lord, as His Word promises, it's fixed. And then prayers of supplication, which what does that word even mean? When I would teach students, I would say that meant that's what's up with you and me. Talk to the Lord about that. Prayers of supplication. So, so we have a responsibility not only to take our own burdens to the Lord in prayer, but likewise to pray for others, to intercede for others in prayer. What a beautiful responsibility as, as the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for us. The Spirit, with words too deep for groaning, intercedes for us for what we need. So praying softens our hearts, whereas critical words further harden our hearts and reveal the standing of our relation to the Lord. Secondly, heart problems show themselves through critical words and the criticalness of their calling to humble service. Those that have Hardened hearts in Israel are revealed not simply by their attack and harsh or hard words against the Lord, but they evidence themselves specifically by the idea of service and submission to the Lord. That's the great offense to those in Israel. Those in Israel that are choosing to do the priesthood by their own division. They're, giving their, they're, they're discussing their giving by their own division. Marriage by their own ways service by their own ways. It's those things specifically that rub those in Israel that have hard hearts the wrong way. So they take a shot at the Lord with a critical word, and then they take a shot at the Lord with specifically the call that he's given them to humble service. Look at verse 14 and 15 with me, if you would. He says, you, speaking of the wicked in Israel, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts, or revering Him. Verse 15, And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Why would you willingly serve someone you don't trust? Many in Israel claim then that they do not trust God. They can't simply say, we're not going to serve you, Creator, but they're accusing the very trustworthiness of the Creator. Do you see that? They look and they say, listen, we, we look around and, and all the evildoers, they prosper. But you're not really even fit for service. That's oftentimes what we do. 
the reasons that we give in life are oftentimes clouded with perhaps another motive that's perhaps riding behind them. We must ever be sensitive to the reasons that we give for not obeying the Lord in His Word. The reasons, the, the clauses that we write in later on to say, you know what, yeah, this really isn't the case. We are really good at working our way around to what we really wanted to do the whole time, aren't we? Are we good or is that just only me? Am I the only one that does that in here? You're all like, yeah, actually, it's only you. It's not good. We tend to do that. That's what Israel's done. They, they, they slandered the Lord. And, and yet this is humbling because many walked for a season. Many walked for a season. And they choose not to worship and to follow after the Lord because they said it is vain to serve God. They look and they look at the season of their life when they, when they think that they live the way that they should by the law of the Lord. And it left them saying, listen, we didn't profit in our own pleasure and our own timing. This didn't work out the way we thought it was going to. They came to God to use God. And God is one that we come to to love and to, to live in His love and kindness and to worship Him and to serve Him. We are creature. He is creator. We must ever be reminded of that. We can never, listen, we can never outgrow the gospel. The gospel we must preach to ourselves every day and every Lord's day to be reminded to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. For when we do not, we will find our hearts hardening and we will find our lips criticizing the Lord. This is humbling. For this means that a number in Israel did for a time, at least by their own perception, they went around for a time mourning before the Lord for a while. They did go around serving the Lord for a while. But it didn't work out the way they desired, so they said, you know what, we're done with that. We're done with that. We're done with you. Flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. If you have a pewback Bible, that's page 818. In Matthew 13, verse 20 through 22, we find the, the parable of the seed or the parable of the soils, probably more appropriately. And what this sounds a lot like to me in Malachi chapter 3 sounds a lot like what Jesus says 400 years later or so about the rocky ground and the thorny ground that the seed lands on. A number in Israel, though he's speaking the nation of Israel, the people called to be his treasure possession, there's a, a, a portion of Israel that seems to have forsaken this calling and they have abandoned their treasured possessor. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 20 through 22, the latter part of this explanation of this parable. He says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Keep your spot there. Let me read again Malachi 3, 14. You have said it is vain to serve God for what is the profit of our keeping His charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. 
Sounds very similar, doesn't it? We'll continue on in verse 22 and notice the thorns. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Many in Israel say, what's the fruit of abiding in the law of the Lord? What a frightening contrast. These critics of Yahweh, they fall away, and as they fall away, they act like they're justified in doing so. It's like, it's like uh, one of those hunter movies where the hunter goes and he covers up his tracks, or she covers up her tracks with this like a leaf or something that they're going behind them. This is not a, I'm realizing I shouldn't have even done this example. It doesn't make any sense to you. It's not going to make any sense. But I had a deliberate scene where somebody's on the wood tra- you know, they're on the trail and they got footprints and they want to cover them up as they get away. Noted. Okay. That's right. We can't all be winners. But the application of what Israel is doing is she, many in Israel are walking away from the Lord. They've already walked away by walking away from the way of the Lord, the covenants of the Lord. And in doing so, they justify themselves by accusing the Lord. In Genesis 3, when the fall takes place, when Adam and Eve run from the Lord, the Lord says, where are you? And he comes to them, and what's he do? What do they find themselves doing right away instead of simply confessing their sin? Adam says, what? This was all my fault. You placed me as the head. This was my fault. Is that what he said? It was her. And what does she do? It was the serpent that you allowed in the garden. There's a reflex in our hearts and there's a reflex in Israel's heart to cover her tracks. We have it too. May the Lord give us ears to hear our words, to watch our language, to watch our mouths, to be sensitive, to see are our words of love and adoration of the Lord or, or, or do we find ourselves giving critical words of the Lord and critical words regarding His calling of service for each of our lives to be a disciple-making people? Secondly, we would pray graciously and humbly that all would find healed hearts. We have critical hearts and we have healed hearts. Healed hearts show themselves through honoring words. Whereas critical hearts, hardened hearts, show themselves through critical words of the Lord and the call to service, Healed hearts do the opposite. Healed hearts show themselves through honoring words. Doing what? Verse 16, honoring the Lord together with others who fear Him. Those who rightly fear the Lord. That is, we've discussed this before, but to fear the Lord is to be marked by the love of God. To know Him, to revere Him, to to aim to serve Him, to treasure Him. That's to fear the Lord, is to treasure Him. To know Him accurately and to live accordingly, to an accurate view of who the Lord is. We find them in Scripture, those people gathering together. Look at verse 16. Then, so even though there's many that are hard-hearted, there's also many in Israel still at this time who are soft of heart, who honor the Lord, who esteem His name, as will be the case in the end. In verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and He heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before Him of those who 
feared the Lord and esteemed His name. Those who fear the Lord, those who treasure the Lord, will find themselves by nature, by adoption, with other people who treasure the name and way of the Lord. We identify ourselves in life by that in those things we treasure. In general human affinities, sports teams, naturally there's a connection point of the things you treasure. You treasure this team, you treasure that hobby, you treasure this craft, this hobby to do, or that thing. You treasure those things. Sometimes it's by your career. You're, you're, you're bonded with somebody by what you treasure. Your family, by nature of blood, you treasure one another, or you have a togetherness by default together. So how much more so do we see here in the Scriptures those who esteem the Lord find themselves together? Though many in Israel have gone astray, those who still treasure and esteem the Lord find themselves together. It's the greatest and, and ultimate yoke. The ultimate yoke upon our lives. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. What a kindness it is of the Lord to remember them. How much more of a contrast could we get from Psalm 119 than those in Israel that do not treasure the word of the Lord or the way of the Lord or the name of the Lord. That is the authority and essence and nature of the Lord. But here in Malachi, we have this clear contrast that we've been working up toward. We have those that came to the way and word of the Lord and said, you know what, we're not profiting the way we thought we would. We're done compared with those who, in hardship, esteem the Lord even more. The trials, the temptations, the lacking, they lead those who treasure the Lord, who are the Lord's treasured possession, to greater treasure the love and kindness of the Lord. It does the opposite. And the Lord's church throughout history, so often there's trials and temptations, and when persecutions happen, it leads the congregations to become stronger and more urgent in the ways and things of the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He writes a book. He writes a book of remembrance. We see this consistently in the Scriptures. We'll note, let's just note four different spots. Two Old and two New Testament books. Now, there could, there could be a plurality of books of remembrance, one of the ideas that it communicates for us, and what would it communicate for those in Malachi's day when Israel is running against the way of the Lord? So many in Israel are. What a reminder to be told. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. The Lord does not forget, and he does not lose his books. The Lord does not forget, and He does not lose His books. How beautiful the balm of this word must have been to those in Israel that still esteem the name of the Lord. How beautiful to be reminded that you're not forgotten. What a fear in life it is to think you're forgotten. Have you had one of those moments? Have I been forgotten? The Lord tells the faithful in Israel, I have paid attention and heard you. And a book of remembrance 
was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Let's notice four of these different spots in Scripture. We won't expound them, but we'll read them so you can note them and see this trend that takes place in Scriptures. Let's look first at uh, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. That's page 569. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. This is after this, this great tribulation scene and, and, and coming judgment for Israel. For Israel, this yet future occurrence. Isaiah chapter 4. We'll read verse 2 through 6. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion, in Jerusalem, the city of the Lord, and remains in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. There it is. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of the flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by the day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. The nearness and the presence of of the glory of the Lord, the holiness of the Lord with His people, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Second, let's look at Daniel 12, page 750. Daniel chapter 12. A culminating text. Again, another spot of everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. The Lord does not forget. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. By that time your people shall be delivered everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Until then. Let's go to the New Testament. Luke chapter 10, page 869. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. This is the scene in which Jesus has sent out the 72. They've done incredible things by God's glory and the power of his name. Demons have been cast out. People have been healed. And they come back, of course, absolutely amazed and pumped what's taken place. Now, Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. What we want to note is notice what the Lord says after this incredible experience. Notice what the Lord says. Listen, be excited, but get excited about this. Get excited about, about this. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, the, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What a perspective-making statement. And then finally, look to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, perhaps one we're most familiar with, hearing. Page 1040. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no one was found for them, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. A few major points of application from this survey of text dealing with books of remembrance. Number one, that, that God is all-knowing and just, and he does not forget. God does not forget. He is the father to the fatherless and the orphan, the widow. God does not forget. Number two, those who are his are secure. Even though in life they may face turmoil, will face turmoil, they are secure in the Lord, the one who does not forget. Number three, that the wise ones, we see in all of these books, the wise one, the wise one in the fool. The wicked one and the righteous one. The one who treasures the Lord and the one who does not treasure the Lord. The one who serves the Lord and the one who serves himself. The distinction is, the marker is, that those who treasure the Lord will treasure him on earth. That there is a faithfulness on earth in their life. That's what we see coming through all of these texts. And Jesus in Matthew 7 tells us this. Jesus says, the one that hears my words and does them, they are wise. For they build their life upon the rock. And when the storm comes and the winds rage and the waters rise, the, their house will stand. And on the opposite side, there are those who hear the words of Jesus and they do not do them. They're not marked by him. They don't treasure him. And therein they build their life on sand. And when the storms come, the same storms come, and the rains pour and the waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will come crumbling down. So an application of all these books of remembrance is that what a privilege it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're forgiven in Christ, to treasure Him, 
to be marked by the love of the Lord, what a great gift that God has given us. What a reason for joy and worship and perseverance to treasure Him today in our lives. What a calling that God has given us. How sweet He is to gather together. He hears their cries. He knows those who fear Him. He knows those who esteem His name. If you will but trust in Christ, if you've not done so, you will be one who will esteem His name. What a gift the Lord gives us. Healed hearts show themselves through honoring words. Healed hearts, in verse 17 and 18, are those that will delight in serving their treasured possessor. They will grow to delight in serving their treasured possessor. Whereas all of us in this room, all of us as a part of our congregation at Grace Bible Church, all of us sought pleasure in serving ourselves, of being our own lords, our own authorities, before we came to Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we now begin to treasure Him, our Creator and our Sustainer, our Lord, our King, the one we worship. When we're worshiping the Lord, when our lives are living according to His Word, the way we ought to live, abiding in Jesus, resting in Jesus, there is nothing like it. There can be nothing like it. It's a mark of a healed heart, a heart that treasures our possessor, a heart that says, Lord, you, you possess me, you own me, you lead me, and is calmed by that. One who is not of the Lord, one whose heart does not treasure the Lord, but rather says, no way. The opposite. Notice the gift of verse 17 and 18. They shall be mine. A whole new Valentine's Day candy understanding. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. They're marked by service. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. In Exodus chapter 19, let me read it for you. This would come back to mind certainly for Israel. They'd remember this text. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 through 6. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, Listen, you yourselves have seen that I, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, here it is, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Treasured possessions, by God's grace, grow to treasure their possessor. What a gift. What a statement to ask each of our lives, to examine our lives by, Lord, how can I treasure you today? And when you find yourself treasuring the Lord in any circumstance, in plenty or in little, in blessings or in hardships, to be able to say, God, oh, it's by your grace that I treasure you. What a reason for praise. 
Lord, this is a hard season, but I know that I treasure you. How can I treasure you right now in this season of my life? What a beautiful testimony the Lord allows us to write and to sing and to live. How can I treasure you in this season of life? The gift that God has given us. What joy to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What love He has for us. What a privilege. It's a joy to be a body. It's a joy to gather together, to orient our weeks, to gather together on Sunday mornings, to greater esteem the Lord. What a joy. He's worthy of our worship, isn't he? He's worthy. So it leads us to three next steps. Next step number one. Next step number one. The Spirit gives us a new heart that delights in the Lord, and, he, and the Spirit of God, He convicts us of criticalness. Would you take time this week to ask the Spirit of God, Lord, is there, is there an area of my life where I find myself, at least in my spirit, being discontent, perhaps critical of you? And if there is, would you spend time talking to the Lord about that, confessing that to the Lord? Don't hide it from the Lord. Don't allow that criticalness to harden you further, but confess it to the Lord. Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, those who fear the Lord are designed to gather together with one another. And one of the gifts that God's given us, this might be a reflective activity for you to take. Has the Lord used, or rather I should say, who has the Lord used in your life to train you up in the faith? Certainly there's many. Would you take time this week to make a list out and thank the Lord for them? Remember their faces, those who taught you and walked with you, cared for you, showed you the way of the Lord more excellently. And thank the Lord for those people. That's the gift the Lord gives us to esteem Him together. And thirdly, how incredible is the love of our God? What a privilege to take time this week and beginning right now to treasure the Lord for His great love that He has shown us in Christ. Would you pray with me before we stand together in response in song? Oh, you are faithful, God, that you would graft us in by faith in Jesus Christ, that we would be included as a part of your treasured possessions, that you would call us and you would free us, Lord, not to live by the ways of our own demise, or the ways of this world, but to walk according to your way and to your word. We give you glory and we thank you for Jesus who came and lived a sinless life. He fulfilled all the demands of the law and He laid His life down on the cross making payment for our sin. What love You would have for us while we were yet enemies. Lord, would You mark our lives by this love that we would be a people secure in our identity to abide in You, to trust Your Word over all the ways of this earth. God, allow us to be a faithful testimony of what it is to treasure You. Would You by your Spirit, lead us to treasure you in greater ways in the context of our relationships and our responsibilities. You are worthy. We set our anxieties down at your feet and we ask, Lord, you to be honored by the praise of your people. You have made us beautiful in Christ. Help us to live that this week as your treasure possessions. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together. Amen. Would you stand together as we sing?